0: Good morning. morning. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. It's also reprinted on the back of your bulletin. Before I get to the text, I wanted to just talk about how much of a joy it is to partner locally with two really good ministries. During our Sunday school hour, we had cultural discipleship, part four which was our third summer cultural discipleship session, thinking through how Scripture speaks to the particular temptations of sexual faithfulness in our world today and how the church can respond with grace and truth and love. And so after the service, we have our table from Harvest USA uh, over there and much more resources if you need that. Uh, We're excited to partner with them. And if you weren't here this morning, I'd encourage you to check out Harvest USA's information. And then to have Melanie from uh, Amnion over in Norristown. They're in multiple locations, but we've been able to partner with their Norristown location. And at VBS, we started the baby bottle drive and all those baby bottles came in. Uh, Some of you brought some in today. Some of you forgot to bring your bottle in today. So yes, you can bring it in next week. And yes, we'll find someone to get it there. And, and maybe one day we'll get a, a tally of how much God uh, provided through this uh, fundraiser for Amnion. But it's so exciting to partner with Amnion. And so it's a, a privilege and a pleasure for what God's doing. So it's neat to see that God gives us things to do to be faithful to him. But what we're going to see this morning is a church in Galatia where some Christians forgot whose faithfulness mattered most. They started to think their own faithfulness was what mattered the most. And they forgot, great is thy faithfulness. Think about it. We just sang that song. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. But what if the lyrics were different? What if Christianity went like this? And what if we actually sang songs like this? I must show faithfulness. I must show faithfulness. Morning by morning, new effort I need. All I have needed, my hands must provideth. I must show faithfulness. Oh, Lord, help me. Those lyrics would be slavery. Are those your lyrics? Christ has come to set us free. We'll see that in Galatians 4. Let me pray first and then I'll read our text, verses 21 through 31. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for what you've helped us do, partnering with Harvest and with Amnion, seeking faithfulness in all categories in the culture around us, and trying to love mothers and children with your love. Thank you that those children who are here because of the work of Amnion are really here because of your faithfulness. And as we think about why we are your children We need to remember that we're children because of your faithfulness. So Lord, teach us this morning from Galatians 4. Thank you that all week, no matter how our week has gone, you have been preparing a nourishing meal for our souls. Through the prayer, through the announcements, through the worship, through the reading of scripture, and now through the preaching of your word and the hearing of it, Help us all receive your words with joy, obedience, and hope, because you will be good to us now as we seek your face. So thank you for being faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, all the way to the end of the chapter. This is the word of our faithful Lord. Tell me, You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The end of Galatians 4. Before we study our text, we have to look at the next verse in Galatians 5. I think Galatians 5 verse 1 is actually the conclusion of what I just read and the whole argument Paul makes in Galatians 4. Galatians 5 verse 1 reads, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's the summary. That's the conclusion. Whatever Paul says in our verses is summarized by a central claim. Christ sets slaves free. And he's not talking about actual slaves in chains owned as property. He's talking about spiritual slaves. People who were enslaved to a religion, who were enslaved to the law, who were enslaved to an understanding of God that I must, 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 or I'm not right with God. Enslaved by the song lyrics that I made up, that great must be our faithfulness, or we would have no hope. That's the slavery. Christ sets spiritual slaves free. And the language Paul uses in our text is a language not of Slavery or of ex-slave, he uses the language of family. Look at verse 28. Now you brothers, there you go, family, like Isaac are children of promise. There's the family. Children of promise. It's the title of our sermon series, which concludes today. We've been going through Galatians 4, and we're calling the whole series Children of Promise. But this is the key message because it has that line, children of promise, in it. In Christ, you are a child of promise. That's true freedom. But the world around us says, how do you get freedom? Take off every chain. Take off every other authority. Say no to your parents. Say no to the government. Say no to religion. Say no to anyone other than your heart. Do what your heart says. Say no to everyone else. That's what the world says true freedom is. But... That's like taking a fish out of water and saying, you're free. You're free. We were designed to submit to godly authority. First, the godly authority of our Heavenly Father. And then the godly authority in the home, the church, and in the government as it adheres to God's design and God's law. But if you're saying no to all those authorities, you're not as free as you think you are. You're free like a fish is free out of water. When I was little, the earliest traumatic incident that I can remember is when we had to let one of our gerbils go. Okay? We had to set one free. We had two gerbils, Frisky and Cautious. And Frisky killed Cautious. Okay? And uh, it happened very visibly, and, uh, and we named them correctly. Frisky. No wonder he was cautious. That guy's going to kill me. And he did. So because of that, we had to set Frisky free. Now, I thought this was setting Frisky free in the woods near my house. Little did I realize that he was probably free dinner from some other animal that night. See, you can think you're free, like Frisky, or like the world tells us to be free, and you can run right into your demise. So you can have freedom the way God designs it, or you can be a slave. You can be a slave to your own heart and mind, like the world says, go be free, and you'll run right into your own demise. Or you can be a slave to religion and saying, I got to do this, that, 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 that," or I'm not right with God, and that can become a slavery. And that is the kind of slavery that the Galatian Christians were being tempted with. Be religious slaves. In the Bible, true freedom comes when you realize not what you need to do, but whose you are. True freedom comes when you realize whose you are. And Paul tells the Galatian Christians whose they are. And Paul reminds us whose we are. They and we in Christ are children of promise. And we're going to see Paul's argument in four parts. Our text has a question, a history lesson, an allegory, and a reminder. Four parts. A question. A question. A history lesson, an allegory, and a reminder. Let's go. Children of promise. First, in verse 21, we have a question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? All right, Paul is running headfirst into battle here. Throughout Galatians, Paul has a clear enemy in mind. As you read through it, you can tell he has a specific narrative that he is combating. There were people who we now look back on and call Judaizers. They tricked some of the Galatians and some early church Christians into believing a false gospel. The Judaizers are Paul's enemy here, and he thinks that they got Christians to believe that you needed to add works to your faith. You needed to add Judaism to your faith. You needed to add Judaism to Christianity, and especially the Jewish feasts and holidays and circumcision, all of that, you need to add all of that to be right with God, Faith, okay, faith is fine, but you're not quite there yet. Faith is not enough. The Judaizers would have denied that Jesus paid it all. They would have said, well, he may have paid for some, but you've got to get the rest of the way home. And to do that, you must become Jewish according to the law. And so the law is the debate that Paul has in his mind. Last summer, we looked at Galatians chapter three, because we're doing one chapter with a microscope each summer. And in chapter three, Paul goes back to Abraham's faith, and he says, guys, don't you remember how Abraham was saved? It wasn't the law. It wasn't works. Abraham was saved by faith. And now in chapter four, he's going after another argument. The Judaizers were likely saying, okay, yes, Abraham had faith. Good point. But what about the promises made to Abraham? Aren't all of the promises of God tied exclusively to the obedience of the law that eventually came to Moses? Surely you need to be Jewish to get any of those promises. Surely you must become ethnically Jewish to be a child of God or a child of Abraham. You better become Jewish Christians or you're missing out. That's the question. And so Paul says, all right, you want to talk about the law? You want to understand the law? Let's talk about the law. But the Judaizers had convinced some Christians that they were missing out. You know, the fear of missing out, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's a huge social issue. Some people are online all the time. They don't want to miss out. They want to know the latest gossip. They want to know where to be. Where's everyone hanging out? What's all, what are all the cool people talking about? It makes me think of a t-shirt that I saw this week. Uh, You know the 70s song that has the line, everybody was kung fu fighting? It was on the radio all the time in the 80s as I was a a little kid. I heard it a lot. And the t-shirt said, surely not everybody was kung fu fighting. (laughs) But it's a fear of missing out. Like if everyone else is kung fu fighting, I need to be kung fu fighting. Are we missing out? See, the Galatians were doing something like FOMO, fear of missing out. Not a social FOMO about being a popular person, knowing where to be, knowing the latest gossip. The Galatians were being tricked by spiritual fear of missing out. And it's deadly in a church if you get it wrong. Have you ever been to an event but not the VIP section? Or have you ever tried to get into a VIP section and gotten kicked out? Well, what if church had a VIP section? How would that feel? What if the youth group had a VIP section? How would that go? There would be so much pressure to fit in, so much pressure to go along. There was a pressure group in the Galatian church which said, you guys are missing out on the blessings of God because you're not becoming Jewish. Fear of missing out. That would be so much pressure in a church. Can you imagine? Just imagine like if this side of the church was the VIP section. And you're all smiling and you're all frowning. (laughs) Okay, imagine in the church if I said, they have it figured out and you're all missing out on God's blessings. And I did that every week, over and over. Can you imagine the pressure? It would feel like high school all over again, but worse. My high school had clicks. I was cool with the video gamers and the volleyball team. And I got to go to the prom twice as a junior and a senior because my popular friends had friends who needed a date. (laughs) No, I never went with a girlfriend. Don't act surprised. I was on the chess team in middle school and we had jerseys. (laughs) True story. But I got to two proms. Clicks in churches are harmful enough. But in the Galatian church, this was more than a click, leaving people left out. This was someone opening God's word and saying, if you do not see it my way and add all of this to your faith, you are completely missing the blessings of God. And Paul is so concerned He says, it's slavery, it's death. Some of you have walked away from the faith completely when you've added law to your faith. That is how dangerous it is. So Paul goes on the attack. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, that's his enemies, do you not listen to the law? You want to be under the law? You want to be right with God by the law? You want to be blessed by God with your works, not by grace? You expect to be blessed by God by becoming Jewish? Okay, then let's talk about the law. So he goes there with a very complex legal argument and it starts with a history lesson. Look at verses 22 and 23. This is part two of our message, a history lesson. So we have the question in mind. Let's talk about the law. And now we've got our history lesson. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise." You remember the historical situation. Abraham was told by God, I have a promise for you. I have blessings for you. And Abraham said, I am going to try and get them myself. I am going to try and earn it. I am going to try and get God's blessings my way instead of waiting to receive the gift of the promise of God. And so Abraham tries to get a child with Sarah, his wife, and it doesn't work. So the plan was for him to take another woman, a slave, and get himself a child that way. And he did. And that child, Ishmael, was born. And Paul says, according to the flesh. In other words, Abraham wanted the blessings of God and he tried to get them by his effort. And that is a reminder of how to miss out on God's blessings. That child, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. So according to the law, when you try and do it your own way, what does the law say? Well, that child was born to a slave mother, And so that child is a slave. Not a free child. But God did have a promise. Do you want my blessings? My blessings are going to come to you, Abraham, but not through the child you get your own way, only through you receiving by grace the promise that I am going to give you. And that child comes. God keeps his promise by a miracle, not by Abraham and Sarah figuring it out eventually. She could not have children at her age and God gives them a child. It's a gift. It's grace. And they receive Isaac. Isaac's mom was free. So Paul says, what does the law say? The child they got, not by their own effort, but by receiving grace from the Lord, accepting the promise he gave them. Now you have a free child. And Paul is saying, when you try and earn favor with God by the law, you're a slave like Ishmael. And if you try and receive everything by grace through faith and receive it as a gift, then you're free. And that is the contrast. So he uses the law to get them to think about what does the law say about those two kids? The one was a slave and the other one was a child of promise. And Paul says in Christ, you can be a slave to the law or you can be a child of promise. What would you rather be? Christ sets slaves free. So thinking back about this argument, the opponents would say, the law says you need to become Jewish, to become a child of Abraham, to get any of the blessings to Abraham. And Paul says, who then is the child of Abraham? Ishmael? Well, the law says he's a slave. Isaac? Well, the law says he's born free. And now he goes a little bit deeper As we're thinking about the law and the illustration of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. And we're going to look at the allegory now. This is our third point. Verse 24, the allegory. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. Okay, everyone stop there. You're not allowed to do this. Paul's allowed to do this. But you're not allowed to do this with God's word. Okay? Uh, Let me offer a huge warning. The Bible is not an allegory. The story of David and Goliath is not an allegory of how you and I can face our own giants. An allegory is a made-up story to illustrate a point. And yes, we do want to have faith like David, but we have to understand in the story of David and Goliath that it's not an allegory. Actually, none of God's people were ready to go into battle, so God picks an anointed one to go into battle for them, and only once his anointed one defeats the enemy, then his people have the courage to run into battle, and we know that points to Christ as a type. Not an allegory, but a type, because Jesus goes up against our great enemy, runs into battle, defeats the enemy, and now we can have the courage to follow Jesus. So it's not an allegory, it's a type. So Paul says, I'm going to tell the story of Abraham's two sons allegorically. This is the only time we're allowed to do this because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to do it. Uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress? Great book. That's an allegory. The main character's name is Christian and he stands in for Christians. And then on the journey, he meets Mr. Worldly Wiseman, Man, who is an allegory of a worldly wise man, right? You get it? That's an allegory. The Bible stories are not allegories. So Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit to say for this particularly dangerous debate in the Galatian church, let me point something out using Isaac and Ishmael's births as an allegory. Look at verse 24. This may be interpreted allegorically. These women, right, Hagar and Sarah, are two covenants, One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So Paul says, let's think allegorically for a minute. There's two moms, two covenants, two sons, and two cities. Hagar is like the old covenant. Think about Hagar like the old covenant. The laws of the old covenant were given at Mount Sinai and blessings were connected to some of those laws when they went into the promised land. Hagar's descendants ended up being geographically from that region too. So there's another connection Paul's playing games with there. Paul's playing around with there. And if you trust the law to get to God, Paul says you're stuck in slavery. You know, at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, the the time when Moses goes up Mount Sinai to get the law, how does it start out? It doesn't start out with the Ten Commandments. It starts out with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. It starts out with, You have been saved by grace and you followed me through a river, through the Red Sea. You didn't do that. I did it. I saved you. I delivered you. I bought you. I rescued you. You're mine. Now here are the rules. Not here are the rules. Obey them to be mine. So even the law starts out with radical reminder of God's grace. But the Galatian Christians were being tricked into thinking that I have to do the law to be right with God. And that's slavery. So verse 25 says that Hagar, and that allegorically stands for the present Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem of Paul's day. God's people at the moment, Paul wrote, the Jews who were stuck in their religion without Jesus, no amount of law obeying could earn salvation. And Hagar also stands for those Galatians who were turning back from the gospel of grace to believe that you earned your way to God by the law. And if you're here this morning and you're tempted at times to think, I'm only right with God if I've been good lately, or I'm not right with God because I haven't been good enough, you've fallen into the same trap. You've fallen into religious slavery. You're not free. And Paul wants to remind us, and God wants to remind our hearts that we are saved by grace through faith. We're children of promise. We get the blessings from God because he gives them, not because we earn them. So that was Hagar, allegorically. Trying to get to God by the law is slavery. But the second mom is Sarah. Sarah, Paul says, is like the new covenant, which Jesus explains to his disciples in the Lord's Supper with bread and cup, symbolizing his body and his blood. She stands for the Jerusalem is the city of God above the heavenly realm, not geographical Israel, but the perfect place of God's presence. Not a land of slavery, but a house of free children. Sarah had always been free. Her status was always free. And so her child, born by receiving God's promise, Isaac, was free. But she could not produce that herself. That's the whole point. Abraham and Sarah could not get the baby of promise. God had to give it to them. So it was all a gift, just like salvation. It's a gift. And you're free if you receive the gift, not if you earn it. And so God steps into Sarah and Abraham's marriage and miraculously provides the answer. He keeps his promises. The lyrics that night were great is thy faithfulness. If that had been written back then. And so Sarah, free as she was, receives the gift of a child, a free child, a child of promise, which is the joyful quoting of the prophet in verse 27. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And so it is true that all those who have faith are considered spiritual children of Abraham. And those children are way more than the descendants of Hagar. Paul is saying, Do you want to be a child of God, a child of Abraham? It's always been about God's free grace. It's never been about the law. Adding the law to faith is slavery, but the grace is where you'll find freedom. So, what kind of child do you want to be? Sarah rejoiced when she received the gift, and so can we. By grace, we are children of promise. We don't need to become Jewish. We're children of promise by grace through faith in Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. Christ sets slaves free. So we had a question, a history lesson, an allegory, and a reminder. Our final point, verses 28 through 31. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. The theme here is inheritance. Which of those children inherited the blessings of God? Was it Ishmael? Was it Isaac? Well, Isaac received that inheritance. And the inheritance line passed down through Abraham, through Isaac, all the way down to Jesus and everyone who would place their trust in him. The slaves to the law have an inheritance. It's the wages of their unpaid sins. Because spiritually, if you're trying to get to God by following the law, you will have failed the test and you will not make it. But if you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you receive all of the inheritance promised not to Isaac, but all the way to Jesus. Everything Jesus earned is yours and mine through faith. Jesus paid it all. We are children of promise. Think about uh, where the value of a child comes from. All of our value comes from understanding whose we are, not from any other source, not from behavior or usefulness. What gives a child value? Is it something they earn, something they receive if they're wanted? Many in our culture view children that way. You need to be useful or wanted or valuable or productive to have worth. We support Amnion Pregnancy Center and we confess along with them that all children have eternal and immeasurable value, no matter what anyone else thinks about them. Mothers, too, have deep value created in the image of God to be loved by God's people. We support the cause of life in our society because God said every child has value. But what makes a human valuable to God? Is it our obedience? let me say this. Some of you act as if that's how the math works, right? Be honest. Be honest with your heart. Some months you feel like your worth in God's eyes is entirely related to your performance. I feel that way sometimes. I'm sure you do too. We live in a meritocracy, did you get the raise? Did you earn it? Did you get the A on the paper? Did you earn it? Did you make the varsity team? Were you good enough? Did you get the promotion? Were you good enough? 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 We're surrounded by that. And the gospel says, we're not good enough. But you're loved by God. You're a child of the promise. Start there. Who's you are, and from there, freely seek to please God as a child. What makes a human valuable to God? Obedience, usefulness, power, money, influence, skills. No, we don't bring anything to that equation. God makes us worthy. We are children of promise. We didn't adopt ourselves into God's family. We were adopted into God's family. But the Judaizers in Galatia were saying, your worth, Christian, I know you're new at this, young Christian, young Galatian Christian. so let us explain it to you. Your worth comes as you obey the laws and as you become Jewish. And then you can have maybe some of the promises of God. But until you do all that, you are missing out. That's not how God's plan works. Abraham was saved by grace and so must we be. And the cross of Jesus is proof that it's all grace. We couldn't fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law in our place. Jesus earned the blessings. He earned the promises for all who believes and he gives them freely. So my question for your heart this morning and my heart as I studied this this week is are you trying to earn God's grace? Are you Trying to earn God's grace. Do you think that's how you get God's blessings? Do you think you're only lovely in His sight if you've been good lately? That your value comes only from what you bring to God instead of from what you receive from God? It's tempting. It's tempting. And we live in this world. I saw a yard sign this week advertising some business, and I'm sure I missed a word or two because it doesn't make sense. But I rather I rather like that I missed a word or two if I did, because the sign said, "1 year of free tune-up services for 29.99." <laughs> I must have missed something. "1 year of free tune-up services" For $29.99. It's either free or you pay for it. It's either free or you earn it. But that's how it is with the gospel. It's either free or you have to pay it all. It's either free or you have to earn it. And these young Christians were being tricked into thinking that they had to earn it. But Jesus... Paid it all. We're going to sing in a moment. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now, like children of promise, seated at your table. That's a child, a free child. Don't you ever forget that you're a child of God, a child of promise. Don't forget why you have a seat at God's table. It's grace. It's God's grace. But the Galatians would have been singing, I must show faithfulness. I must show faithfulness. Morning by morning, new effort I need. All I have needed, my hands must provide. I must show faithfulness. Oh, Lord, help me. And if you've been believing that nonsense, throw those lyrics out today that need to be right by following all the laws, that need to be Jewish or adding the feast, adding the works of the law, thinking you need to be faithful or you'll miss all of God's promises. No, our lyrics to the famous hymn are correct. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, including salvation, right? Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto us. And that's why the apostle ends this argument about the law, Sarah and Hagar, law and freedom, with chapter 5, verse 1, which I'm going to end the sermon with. Galatians 5, verse 1. Let every heart in this room hear this word. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Amen? Let me pray. Father, Father, you're our dad. You've adopted us into your family as sons and daughters. We're brothers and sisters. Everyone who's trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're yours. You earned it for us. You gave us a seat at your table by grace through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And even that faith was a gift from you. Lord, help us be so grateful. Help us never forget that we are your children of promise. Help us never try to earn your favor through law, but just to receive your favor by grace through faith. And Lord, because we are your children, Help us understand how to use your law. Help us to love your law and to obey it out of pure, joyful obedience because you have adopted us into your family. Help us never be tempted again by the lie that we're not right with you unless we've been perfect. But in those moments of temptation, turn our hearts and minds toward the cross of your son and our savior, Jesus, who was perfect according to the law, and died in the place of sinners so that we could be seated at your table and set free. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand as we sing.